I need no other argument. You do not need another lawyer. You don't need a priest, a pope, a pastor, or anyone, because the Lord Jesus Christ is presenting the arguments in the court of heaven before the tribunal of Almighty God to His own Father that are sufficient. I need no other plea. Because He's pleading His own shed blood. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. I disagree with that part. Here I go, and this is one of your pastor's little peculiarities. Doesn't Paul say in Romans 5 and Romans 8 and Hebrews 7 that there is something that is yea rather and much more than his death? That he still lives for us making those arguments and pleas. You have a lawyer. You know you have a court case coming up that's going to be the most serious thing you've ever read or heard about. I'm looking at Austin, Donald. (laughs) Brethren, we have a court case coming. My last in-depth conversation with Brother Bruce Taylor, who knew a lot about court cases and having lawyers and needing lawyers, and how when you hire a lawyer, as Brother Stephen, now I've mentioned four of you, once said to me, we need a lion in court, not a lamb. And guess what we get with the Lord Jesus Christ? A lion and a lamb. He's the, he's the slain lamb, and he's the lion of the tribe of Drew, Judah, who hath prevailed to open the book of God's everlasting decrees and covenant. We have a court case coming, and we have a lawyer, and he is seated at the right hand of the judge of heaven, and he is the judge's beloved son. And he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And our names are written in his book of life. We are blessed. We are blessed indeed. And so when it says it is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me, no, we need a priest to carry that shed blood into the presence of God. And Hebrews 9 says, He did it. By the eternal Spirit, He offered Himself without spot once to God. Jesus didn't offer Himself to sinners. Jesus offered Himself without spot one time to God 2,000 years ago and was fully accepted. And that's what makes us accepted in the Beloved. Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. We are under a little bit of a time constraint, so we're going to go quickly, and I am totally content with that. I just want to give you a bird's eye view of Hebrews 7 by breaking it into digestible chunks that you can understand what is taking place in these 28 verses. There were three verses in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, verses 18 to 20, that mentioned a priest and king named Melchizedek. There is one verse in Psalm 110 and verse 4 that mentions him again, and then he is not mentioned until the book of Hebrews. Then he is referred to repeatedly without any explanation given because the Hebrews were not ready for the in-depth thinking, and Paul takes from Hebrews 5.11 all the way to 6.20 to rebuke them for their ignorance and lack of training because he wanted to unleash some deep stuff about Melchizedek, which he does in the 7th chapter. In 5.11, look at he says in 10, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's referring to Psalm 110, verse 4, and he has done that several times. Like verse 6 in this same chapter. 
as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now look at Paul in 5.11. Of whom, that is of Melchizedek, we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. And then he starts rebuking them. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles. And from there to the end of chapter 6, he rebukes them for having slipped away from their knowledge of the gospel. And brethren, let's all grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so that all the reasoning in Hebrews 7 is plain and obvious to us. And so he brings us back on track with the last verse of chapter 6. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, that's within the veil, in the presence of God, even Jesus, made and high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Are you with me? 5-6, interruption. Let's get back on track, 6-20. Then we get chapter 7, 28 verses about Melchizedek. I'm going to give it to you in chunks. And if you mark in your Bible, it's helpful. If you don't mark in your Bible, that's okay. You'll have an outline that you can go look at. If you want this material in greater depth, it was preached in 1988 as part of the exposition of the book of Hebrews, and it's fully available. I listened to that sermon this past week. It's 90 minutes long. You can go listen to it. It's got an MP3 recording on the website. And two sermons were preached on this subject in 2008, which is six years ago, about the Melchizedek priesthood. I just want to give you a thumbnail sketch of this wonderful chapter. Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul to keep Jewish believers who had believed on Jesus Christ, left temple worship, had been baptized from going back. There were a couple of reasons they could go back. They were being persecuted for following Christ, and they knew that that temple worship in Jerusalem was God's religion. That was God's temple. Those all, That altar was God's altar. Those priests were God's priests. That law that they followed was God's law. They knew that. They knew that they had the Scriptures, and they were the only nation on earth that had the Scriptures. So there was a positive and a negative temptation to backslide and go back and join the Jews' religion. So the Apostle Paul comes along, and in these 13 chapters, Hebrews is so simple. Hebrews is this simple. It's Paul comparing Old Testament religious things to New Testament religious things and showing that New Testament religious things, especially Jesus Christ, is far superior to anything in the Old Testament, so don't go back. Chapter 7 is this. I, you know the priesthood back there, those Levitical priests, starting with Aaron, coming out of the tribe of Levi, that offer those sacrifices. You know that God did receive their sacrifices for 1,500 years, but there has been a replacement of the of this priesthood, and Jesus is now the priest. You don't need those priests. That's, that's what chapter 7 is about. He's going to take apart the Levitical priests by a number of different ways, by showing that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek rather than after the order of Levi. The first section, the first three verses are the resume of Melchizedek. Very simple. The resume. I read Melchizedek's resume to you. 
For this Melchizedek, what Melchizedek? The one he has mentioned in 620, 5.10, 5.6, and in some other places as well. This Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. There's his resume. Melchizedek, we are told, is by interpretation king of righteousness. Melchizedek as the king of Jerusalem or king of Salem is the king of peace. So this great man, Melchizedek, was a king of righteousness and a king of peace. Could we get any mileage out of that? Oh Lord, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and raising up this man Melchizedek as early as Genesis 14 for us to see an obscure shadow and type and similitude of Jesus Christ coming. We're on the other side of the cross. It's all easy for us. Do you ever thank God that it is so easy for you to understand it all? Because we're on this side of the cross. We're on this side of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews helps a great deal in understanding the Old Testament. He is also priest of the Most High God, which we considered earlier today, there in that first verse. And it tells us that Melchizedek blessed Abraham, the last three words of verse 1, very important stuff. He's going to get back to that. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Very important point. Paul's going to get some mileage out of that. And then he explains, thankfully, Paul tells us what the Hebrew language means, Melchizedek, transliterated and brought in from Hebrew into Greek, into English, meaning king of righteousness. But now verse 3, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Wow. Melchizedek must have been eternal. Notice that it says, made like unto, he isn't the Son of God, he's made like unto the Son of God. Different people and different commentators believe different things. Some people believe this is Shem. Shem, the son of Noah, would have seen quite a bit getting off the ark and having the world rather quiet. And so he would have made a decent king and priest, but he's not Shem. There's nothing in the Bible that says it's Shem. Some think this is a Christophany, or a pre-incarnate occurring of Jesus Christ. But it's not. It says He's made like unto the Son of God. He isn't the Son of God. Some think it's an angel. The Mormons have a whole list of things they think Melchizedek is. And we just disregard it all. We are going to trust the Apostle Paul because all we know about Melchizedek is right here in Hebrews chapter 7. And we're reading his resume. When it says, without father, mother, descent, beginning of days, or end of life, we want to look at the last part of that third verse. Abideth a priest continually. When it says those five things about him, it's not talking about him being a man. It's not talking about him being a king. It's talking about him being a priest. Amen. To be a priest of God, your beginning of days, your end of life, your age, your pedigree, 
your ancestry had to be recorded in the Word of God. I do not have time to take you to Ezra, to take you to Nehemiah, that when the Jews came back from Babylon, they scoured through the records of the Jews to find the ancestry and family trees of some of those men that were claiming to be priests. They couldn't find them, so they were thrown out of the priesthood. If you did not have in the law of God and in the genealogical genealogical records of the Jews, you couldn't be a priest. Well, what do the genealogical records of the Jews say about Melchizedek? <clears throat> there's three verses in Genesis 14. There's one verse in Psalm 110. What does it say about his genealogy as a priest? Nothing. Who's his father? Was he a priest? We don't know who his father was. He was without a father as far as the priesthood was concerned. Who's his mother? Was she from Levi? No mother recorded. Without descent, meaning we can't trace him back to anyone. We can't trace him to Noah. We can't trace him to Levi. We can't trace him to Aaron. As far as his priesthood, brethren, right now we are dealing with the most difficult part of Hebrews chapter 7. This is why Paul said, I don't even know how to talk to you Hebrews about it because you haven't paid attention well enough. You should be teaching some of these things because I have some things that are hard to be uttered. And listen, right now I'm in the quicksand. You're in the quicksand trying to hear. I'm trying to explain it when it says without father, without mother, without descent, without beginning of days or end of life, it's referring to his priesthood. There is no genealogical record of Melchizedek as a priest. There's no descent. There's no pedigree. There's no end of his life. So if we look at the law of Moses to find out what kind of a priest he was, since it did say he was a priest of the Most High God, then he must be a perpetual priest by what the law says about him. You say, that is kind of deep and obscure. Well, types and shadows are deep and obscure. If you turn over to chapter 8 and verse 5, look, it says in, he, in, in Hebrews 8, 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. When God gives types, they serve as an example and shadow of heavenly things. If I show you the shadow of a person on the floor... Can you tell me the, about the details of them? Nope. No, you're just seeing an outline. And a type from the Old Testament trying to show us some New Testament truth is just a shadow. So we've got this shadowy figure, Melchizedek. Just three verses in Genesis 14, one verse in Psalm 110, but the Apostle Paul says it pertains to his priesthood. This is easily the most difficult clause of the chapter. Right here in the last part, in the part of Verse 3, it just means that in Moses' historical record, there is nothing about Melchizedek's birth, death, family tree, the start of his life, the end of his life, his age, or anything. His priesthood is the issue based on, abideth a priest continually, based on, the whole chapter is about priesthood, based on that in verse 6, it said, he whose descent is not counted from them that receive tithes of Abraham. Of them receive tithes of Abraham. He does not have any tie to the tribe of Levi. And then in verse 8, it says about him, there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. How does the Bible witness that Melchizedek is still alive in his priesthood? Because it doesn't have a death certificate. You say... I understand why Paul said there are some things hard to be uttered over there in uh, chapter 5. God's revelation, God's law does not record a mother, father, family, beginning or end. 
Genealogies were absolutely essential to priests under the law. The genealogical records of the Jews, no record of Melchizedek. He is a similitude. Look at verse 15. Mel- after the similitude of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type. Melchizedek is a shadow. He is a similitude. He is a metaphor. He is simply a man that was a priest, the Most High God. And you say, well, how could he be a priest, the Most High God? And Abraham didn't know him very well. Was he related to Abraham? The Bible doesn't tell us any of that. Was there another priest, the Most High God, that Moses ran into on the backside of the desert? What was his name? Jethro. God had his priests. Abraham was just a man that he dealt with because Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation and that's why there's so much information about Abraham, so little about Melchizedek, so little about Jethro. we got to go on. Did I say I was going to go fast with each of these sections? There's two young men in this church. You'd be respectful and kind. That's a private joke. I'll make it public right now. I have to hurry because some men have to be at work and they all want to commune with their parents and uh, uncle and aunt. And I respect that. And I'm sorry for going so slow on his resume. But I love this chapter. This chapter is sweet. That is not an easy verse. But if you think about the overall context and you think about abideth a priest continually, okay, because there's no genealogical end to his priesthood, he just kind of fades off into the distance. We don't know anything about him. He's an example of the Lord Jesus Christ because all the Levitical priests died. When Aaron died, was there a pretty big deal made in Israel about that? Oh, it was huge. It was, it was nearly the size of Moses' death. Section number 2 is verses 4 through 7. This is, the, this is inspired, logical reasoning. You have a bunch of Jewish believers that are tempted to go back to the Levitical priesthood in 28 verses, the Apostle Paul is going to set up Jesus Christ as so superior to them, you would never think about going back. Verses 4 through 7 are Melchizedek and Abraham. Oh, if you're talking to Hebrews, who do you want to compare Jesus to? Abraham. Because if you can make Jesus better than Abraham, whoa, that's getting some mileage. Watch this. 4 through 7. Hebrews 7, 4 through 7. Now consider, this is Paul, reasoning by the Holy Spirit. Now consider how great this man was. That is the man Melchizedek. Unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Abraham, the father of your nation, the greatest worshiper of God you've ever heard of, Hebrews, he paid tithes to Melchizedek. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment, it's found in the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. That long verse simply says that to be ordained a priest and to be supported by your other twelve tribes, yes, it was twelve other tribes, because Levi was pulled out, Joseph had his two sons stuck in, It was 12. That was a great privilege to be able to take tithes of the rest of the nation so that you could commit yourself to the service of God. And verily, that's what verse 5 is all about, that there is a very significant law put in place for priests to be supported by the rest of the nation, though they all come out of the loins of Abraham, both the priests 
and the constituents that the priests represent. Verse 6, but he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham. You know, it's a big deal according to verse 5 for the tribe of Levi to get 10% from the other tribes. But this is a bigger deal. A man who has no relationship to Levi, Abraham paid him tithes and blessed him that had the promises. We'll come back to that in a moment. Now that's the second time Paul's laid that little hint on us that blessing means something pretty big. No, we're going to do it right now. Do you understand the tithes? For Abraham to pay tithes to Melchizedek was huge. It meant that Melchizedek was greater and had a privilege from God given to him over Abraham. Then it moves on to this by saying in the last part of verse 6, and blessed him that had the promises. Who has the promises of God in the Bible? Abraham. Did God swear with an oath to Abraham? Surely blessing, I will bless thee. Did the Jews look to Abraham as having the four great promises? An everlasting land? Destruction of all their enemies? A multitudinous seed like the stars of heaven? Just give me a second. Oh, and all the nations of the earth would be blessed in Abraham's seed. Those four blessings, land, multitude, destroy enemies, and all Gentile nations would be blessed by Abraham and his seed. Those are great promises. But look what it says. And blessed him that had the promises. While Abraham had all these fabulous promises from God, Melchizedek is the one that led the worship service between him and Abraham. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. So Paul says in the next verse, and without all contradiction, my brethren, don't argue about this point. Paul says there is no contradicting it. The less is blessed of the better. When, when one man gives a blessing to another man in a religious sense that God honors, which man is greater? The one giving the blessing or the one receiving the blessing? The one giving the blessing has the authority with God to call down favors on this man. This man is Abraham. He had all the promises of God, but Melchizedek blessed him. If you read Genesis 14 last night, you know that in verses 18 through 20, Abraham, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And the less was blessed by the better. So here are these Hebrew readers. Oh, listen to what Paul's doing to us. Abraham is less than Melchizedek. And Jesus is a priest, according to Psalm 110, after the order of Melchizedek. He's greater than our father Abraham. Next point. Melchizedek and Levi. Remember, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had the twelve tribes, and one of those men was Levi. And out of the tribe of Levi, out of the son of Levi, the sons were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, number three, Levi, from Jacob. The priests all came out of Levi. So now it's going to be Jesus, or Melchizedek, compared to Levi. Verses 8 through 10. They're... These distinctions are quite plain when you read through the chapter looking for sections. Verse 8, And here, men that die receive tithes. All of the Levites died. But even though they were very mortal, they still got tithes out of their brethren. But there, that is, back in Genesis 14, he receiveth them, that is, tithes, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. So uh, 
When Abraham paid those tithes, he paid those tithes because this priest never died. Like the Levite priests die. Verse 9, And as I may so say, this is logical reasoning at its very finest. And as I may so say, may I suggest to you, Levi also, who receiveth tithes by the commandment of the books of Moses, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. This is seminal representation by descendants in a father. May I suggest something, Paul says to these Hebrews. When Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, seminally through Isaac, through Jacob, then Levi, we can just go ahead and say that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. And when the father of all the priests of Israel for 1,500 years paid tithes to Melchizedek, where does it put Melchizedek? Way up here. Do you see the logical reasoning? And pulling in some... Does seminal representation have any meaning in the Bible? Did Adam did Adam stand for all of us? About 80 billion people? Seminally represented in him? So Melchizedek's greater than Levi. Verse 11, Melchizedek and the law. What was the next biggest thing that the Jews loved about their Old Testament religion? The law of God. They had the law and no one else had it. So we have verses 11 through 14. Watch Paul's reasoning. If therefore... Since he's already brought some things to a conclusion, he's going to conclude some more things. If therefore, perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? What Paul is saying is, if that Levitical priesthood that you trust in so much that you want to go back to and use again is... Good enough. Why, in Psalm 110, 500 years after the Levitical priests began, was there mention made of another priest? He's reasoning with them. If therefore, you think the Levitical priesthood is perfect, why is there Psalm 110 and verse 4 in the Bible? Verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, which Psalm 110 verse 4 did, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Your law has changed, Hebrews. For he of whom these things are spoken, Jesus, we've been talking about Melchizedek, but they're all pointing to Jesus. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe. He doesn't even belong to the tribe of Levi of which no man gave attendance at the altar. No one from Judah ever served the altar in the worship of God. For it is evident, verse 14, that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. So he has just undone the law. The law was insufficient. God's overthrown the law. The law said you had to come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. So the law has changed. Everything that a Jew would stand on is being pulled out from underneath them to look to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Melchizedek is greater than the law. And the law has been changed to make way for Jesus Christ after the order of Melchizedek. Verses 15 through 19. The basis on which Melchizedek was a priest versus the basis on which the Levites were priests. I read to you verses 15 to 19. And it is yet far more evident. Look at his terminology. This is debate class. 
And we're being taught by the Holy Ghost through the Apostle Paul. He has already said in verse 14, it is evident that our Lord came out of Judah. How evident was it? His legal father Joseph was from the tribe of Judah. His biological mother Mary was from the tribe of Judah. He was from Judah. It is evident. But now he says, it is yet far more evident. He's going to lay something on us even bigger and better. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made, remember, this point, this section is about the basis or the nature of the priesthood. He is made a priest not after the law of a carnal commandment, that is one of Moses' commandments, but after the power of an endless life. That is a totally different basis for priesthood. For he testifieth, Verse 17 is quoting Psalm 110. Thou art a priest forever, the emphasis on the words forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And the emphasis is on the word forever in verse 17. The emphasis is on the power of an endless life in verse 16. And so verses 15 through 19 are pointing out that the priests that came out of the tribe of Levi were made priests simply by a carnal commandment written in the books of Moses. Paul has the right to call Moses' commandments carnal, weak, beggarly, sensual, rudimentary. Those are New Testament words to describe the insufficiency of the Old Testament commandments. But that's how a priest from Levi became priest because there was written in that weak, pitiful, passing away Old Testament that he should be a priest. But Melchizedek is a priest because he has the power of an endless life. Melchizedek is a priest because he abides a priest forever in that 17th verse. And so the basis for the priesthoods are totally different, and the basis for the priesthood of Melchizedek is far greater because it's based on the power of an endless life. That is power. You know, he's called the other weak and beggarly and can't profit, but there's power in an endless life. When you're the priest of the Most High God and you're never going to die, that's power, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the next section. Melchizedek and ordination. How were they ordained? Verse 20, And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. Jesus was made a priest with an oath. Remember? There were some little words in Psalm 110 that started off verse 4. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord hath sworn. That's what Paul's appealing to right now is just the... Do we believe every word of the Bible in this church? Do you know why? Because so did Paul. Now this is not what we would call a one-word argument. It sure is close, isn't it? Because of the word swear. I'll consult with counselors later. The Lord hath sworn. The Lord hath sworn is the emphasis. So verse number 20. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. In parentheses, explaining about the Levitical priests. For those priests were made without an oath. There was no oath of God involved in Aaron becoming a priest. But this, with, but this, 
meaning Melchizedek and Jesus, with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do you see the repetition of Psalm 110 verse 4? Paul is just drawing all these arguments from Psalm 110 verse 4. He's drawing these arguments from Genesis 14, 18 through 20. The Levitical priests were not made priests with an oath. In their ordination, there was no oath from the God of heaven. In the ordination of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was an oath from the God of heaven. When the God of heaven, who is the judge that has the power to cast you, body and soul, into hell for eternity, when he says that I have sworn with an oath that you have a priest named Jesus after the order of Melchizedek, and that God cannot repent from the oaths and promises he makes, do you have any assurance of eternal life? I mean, our assurance should... As big as we can make it. As big as God's oath. As big as God's word. Paul would say just two chap- one chapter back in Hebrews 6, that when God makes a promise, and then he swears with an oath... Two immutable things have been given to us so that we can know that we have a priest. But the Levitical priest, there was never an oath from God. It was just a little sentence over here in Leviticus. And Paul's already making fun of that Old Testament law because it was just temporary. It was weak. It didn't make anything perfect. It's floating and flying away. By so much, verse 22 is where I'm at, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. A surety is someone who guarantees your well-being. And we have a surety in heaven made so by the oath of God. And that oath is in Psalm 110. And Paul quotes it again right there in verse 21. And the emphasis is on the word swear. The Lord swear. That makes it an oath. The Levitical priests had no oath in their ordination. Verse 23 through 25, it's Melchizedek and longevity. Melchizedek and longevity. How long did the priest from Levi live? How long does Melchizedek live? How long does Jesus live? Verse 23, And they truly, that is Levitical priests, they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. They had to be replaced every time one died. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He will never lose your assignment. He will never lose your arguments or pleas. He is there forever. And when it says uttermost, it is not a term describing quality of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, but the longevity and perpetuity of it. He is going to save you all the way to the end to where you're completely and finally saved. And you'll never be lost. Because He's able to save you to the uttermost. And it's not a term of quality or depth. It's a term of length and breadth of how long the Lord Jesus Christ is going to live. He's never going to die on you. He's never going to fail on you. He will save you all the way. Melchizedek and longevity. The perpetuity or the perpetualness of his priesthood. The last three verses, Melchizedek and impeccability. Impeccability, that means you can't pick on it. That's just a simple definition for the word impeccable. Impeccable means it has no faults, flaws at all whatsoever. Jesus Christ is an impeccable high priest. Now watch how Paul puts that into words. 
Verse 26, for such an high priest became us. That does not mean he took upon us our nature here. When he took upon us himself our nature, that is described in other places. Here, it's the word became, meaning fit, suitable, agreeable, congruous, appropriate for us. Jesus became a priest that was perfectly appropriate for us. Why is he perfectly appropriate? Here is his impeccability, who is holy. There was no holy priest that came out of Levi, harmless. He is merciful, gracious, and gentle. He is not ashamed to call us brethren. He makes us joint heirs with him and is not ashamed at losing anything. We're the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He's harmless. You know, there are, there are attorneys and lawyers and priests who are not harmless. They're harsh, they're selfish, they're lazy. They have higher prior priorities than their clients or, or constituents that they're representing, but he is harmless. He's undefiled. There's no fault or flaw in him. He is separate from sinners. We don't want a priest that has to go confess his own sins and offer up some sacrifice for them. We want a priest that is separate from sinners that can focus on us and offer up a sacrifice for us. He is separate from them. He is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He sits at the apex of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who needeth not daily, because he's holy, because he's harmless, because he's separate from sinners, he needeth not daily as those high priests of Levi to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once. When he offered up himself, and Hebrews 9 describes it, For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. They are sinners and they die. But the word of the oath, Psalm 110 verse 4, But the word of the oath, which was since the law, because Psalm 110 and verse 4 comes after the book of Leviticus, that's all that means right there, which was since the law, maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. An oath of God, given to us in Psalm 110 and verse 4, makes Jesus Christ a consecrated priest. He is an impeccable priest. He is very different from the other priests because they were subject to the infirmity of sin and they were subject to the infirmity of death, but not our Lord Jesus Christ. 28 verses. Jesus is our lawyer and priest and mediator in heaven, and he crushes the only other order of priests the world has ever had. And that other order of priests is not Rome's, and it's not the Mormons, and it's not any other pagan religion. It is the religion of God himself, instituted through the tribe of Levi, under Aaron. Those were God's priests. And this chapter only compared Jesus to God's priests, but he is superior to them. There's only two priesthoods that have ever been, the Levitical and the Melchizedek. Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. He abides a priest forever. He is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ this day as the Son of God who sits at God's right hand and is your law, your mediator and Savior? We're going to celebrate him at the Lord's Supper. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Jesus, after the order of Melchizedek.